Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one irony-dripping minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. And joining me again uh, this week, uh, Sans, his partner in crime, uh, David Campo. Welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, good to be back. Uh, you know, I'll try to try to hold out there for, you know, to handle this for Paul and I, you know, we'll, we'll see how <laughs> I do. If I can carry on without him. I, I, I think we'll I think we'll I think we'll be pretty solid. Um, probably fewer so, uh, loon, probably fewer Looney Tunes re- references, I would say, you know, but other than <laughs> possibly. that. Um, <laughs> possibly. Um, so uh, today we're going back to minute 80, which starts with Marty peeking into Strickland's office through a window mm-hmm. uh, and ends with uh, Strickland hiding his coffee mug as he takes his seat. <laughs> in a nice reversal. I, I have to admit, after in the previous uh, uh, few minutes, as you've talked about the reactions of characters, um, I can't not see how big that is in this movie now. You, you've kind of opened my eyes, no pun intended, to that. Uh, especially the the sort of double up and down pump uh, movement that he does uh, in the beginning of this scene, um, or this minute, <laughs> where he kind of, the hat creeps up, the eyes look, and then he... Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to. I'm he sorry, like dips back down because yeah. uh, because Strickland <laughs> turns to pour the scotch into his coffee mug. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's That's it's great. It's, it's really big, but that that shot, especially um, when he when he comes back when he drifts back up again after yes. popping down, that shot. I mean, again, this is this is another instance in this movie where for some reason Dean Cundy is just rocking that horror movie lighting like this is <laughs> i mean it's it's a really like i mean out of context that's a shot from a horror movie you know and i thought that at the end of the previous minute where he runs it down the uh hallway of yeah. the, the sort of dimly lit auditorium where i'm like wow this is some like 80s horror movie stuff right here oh, yeah it looks like something out of um that uh that robert uh robert rodriguez movie uh the faculty oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and then the lighting um because uh once they kind of cut to that i guess what would be the the wider shot that we have where he's creeping in through the door it's mm-hmm. just kind of sort of lit by the blinds being open and he's as uh strickland is kind of looking out over the i guess the parking lot or whatever his office looks out onto right. uh yeah it, to me it feels like a john carpenter movie or something you know <laughs> absolutely absolutely oh uh, yeah well and, nice. and you know we've talked about um this being this whole sequence being like a stealth sequence in a video game and yeah i mean this is this is even the camera is even put in sort of an overhead position like a lot of stealth sequences in video games are done you know (laughs) it's really it's really fun you can practically see the the cone of vision in front of uh strickland's head uh, (laughs) right getting ready to to capture uh capture marty but it also Um, serves the purpose of some of the things that you're saying uh, or have been saying in some of the previous uh, uh days worth of episodes here uh uh, previous minutes that we've looked at um, in that uh, they very carefully place that camera in an, in an angle that gives you everything in that one shot. I mean, mm-hmm. you do get some close up stuff, but the main, I guess the master shot for this moment, uh, you're able to see the door open and close. You're able to see Marty's head pop up just over the desk, even as Strickland is, uh, you know, looking out the window or turning to take a sip from his coffee. I mean, it's all there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it feels claustrophobic. Like we're we're still close. We're not too far away. We're close enough where we still feel 
how close Marty is and how hard it is to hide in that spot. Um, and I kind of love that. Like I'm looking at the still frame of it right now and I'm just sort of like, wow, that is scary. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, it, it's, it's really, they, they found a perfect position for it. Uh, cause you, you just, you really get everything again, you know, like you just get everything in the frame. Every, every visual cue that you need is in that frame. It's really great. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also, there's also some really great music in this scene, uh, yes. which is the little, the little like harp played back to the future theme where it's just like, it's sort of like strings being plucked going ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding, ding. It's and, a little and, and twilight very, zone, isn't it? Like, what is it? it? It makes me think of a little twilight zone kind of thing. Like the, like yeah. old stings and like an old black and white, uh, like Twilight Zone episode or something. I don't know what it is, but there's something yeah. about that that reminds me of that, you know? Oh no, totally. That, when, yeah, they, no. when he throws down the almanac and then, and then you get the close up shot of the almanac and then the reaction yeah. shot of uh, Marty, <laughs> like there's a, there's that sort of sting that happens right in there. I don't know. Yeah. There's something about it that, that strikes me as very old TV. <laughs> and I, I love the detail of Marty having to move the American, the, the American flag out of the way. Oh my God. That is great. I love that. Oh, it's so awesome. Um, so, so yeah, so, so just Marty, I mean, I, I just don't know why Marty doesn't just grab the thing and run. Like, I don't right. know. Does he think that he wouldn't be able to outrun Strickland? Right. <laughs> I mean, he's not a student here in 1955. Like Strickland has no power over him. Um, I mean, this is something I never would have thought about until breaking it down minute by minute. But yes, it does seem almost absurd that the amount of stealth he goes through, uh, <laughs> in the sequence that we've been looking at this week, um, you know, when he could just grab it and run, it's not like he's not from this time. It's not like he's got parents that he's got to go home to. It's not like, uh, you know, I mean, other than it possibly could cause trouble for Beta Marty. Is that what you call him? Yeah. Right? yeah. OK, so uh, it could cause trouble for Beta Marty, uh, who is at least known at the school by Strickland and everything. So, I mean, maybe he's trying to save himself from possible timeline deviations i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's uh there's also the interesting thing about this scene and this is something that i until covering it minute by minute this is something that has never ever ever occurred to me and i've probably seen back to the future part two well over 50 times because i was one of those kids who if i found a movie <laughs> i liked i watched it over and over and over and over and over again um and uh I have never realized that Strickland in this moment is being a slacker. Oh, totally. (laughs) I mean, he he is supposed to be chaperoning the dance and instead he's hiding in his office drinking scotch. Right. Yeah. I had not really thought about that. I mean, I think it's sort of what we expect the adults do is they tell us, uh, they tell us what we're not supposed to do and then they go and do it themselves. And, and their right. justification is that they're an adult and they earned it. And when you're that age, you can do it too. But, but that doesn't really play for Strickland. Who's, you know, constantly like harping on people about being slackers, but yeah. I don't know, maybe he feels he earned it somehow. Maybe, or, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Strick. I mean, Strickland has a bottle of scotch in his office. Right. Um, in his, in his desk. I mean, granted this is the fifties and it was a different time, but, uh, I, I just I think it's interesting that he gets a whiff of Biff and says, it, have you been drinking? And then immediately and then he goes, goes back right. to his office. To drink. And you're good. It's a good point. It is after hours, but it's not after hours for him because he's he's like you said, he's a chaperone or whatever of this school dance. So he is on the clock. Yeah, so that's not OK. 
No, <laughs> it's really not okay at all. Um, you wonder what he's what he what he's going to do if if Marty wasn't there in this moment with the uh, the uh, almanac because you know he, he's really just kind of playing out the biff role, isn't he? Ooh yeah. la la and 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 liquor, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and and I think uh, what what I find really interesting, I and this is this is a thing that um, you know because people characters drink a lot in movies. Um, right. like it's, it's, it's an easy way, uh, to do a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of character exploration. And so there's a lot of drinking in movies just in general, but what mm-hmm. I love about this in particular, um, and about similar scenes like this is there, there's something about someone who drinks out of a coffee mug. <laughs> right. That it just, it just adds like this, this extra level of sort of desperation to their drinking where it's like, I don't care how it gets into my body. I just need it in my body right now. (laughs) Right. Because you imagine that the coffee mug is there for uh, coffee during the day. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, but this, so this is, it makes this even more furtive, this, uh, this more like a clandestine operation where he's like, okay, but I've got this bottle of scotch in my desk. I just need some sort of vehicle to you know <laughs> ingest it i just need to put it into something i'll just use my coffee mug there's so there, it's not like a practiced uh it's not like a, like mad men where they've got the glasses in their office and the scotch in their office and it's this sort of uh uh practiced uh uh, uh presentation this this ritual is what i'm right. looking for they have like you a know? they have like a whole bar set up right right that you know it's a ritual it's a custom it's a presentation it's it's a thing this is more just necessity <laughs> it's like, oh god i need this right <laughs> which is uh which is which is great and and reveals a lot about strickland i think as mm-hmm. a, as a as a character because you know he puts on this stern uh, dis- disciplinary face uh, for his students. But, you know, as we see behind the scenes, sometimes he just needs a drink because all of this is too much to deal with. Right, right. Absolutely. And it's funny because even though he's quote unquote slacking in this moment, he is still kind of keeping an eye on things, peeking through those blinds, listening to what's going on in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, there's some honking and stuff, and I'm not sure if that's actually taken from the what the sequence of what's actually happening outside with with Beta Marty and all that. But uh, you know, it, it strikes me now as I'm uh, watching this that it could very well be, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't remember because <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, it's so detailed. Like, <laughs> yeah. But the point is, he's still kind of checking out what's going on. You mm-hmm. know, he doesn't trust these kids. You know, right. <laughs> right. he could be doing anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're yeah, up to no good. I, I I'm curious what what would happen for Strickland after this moment. You know, like like pres- presuming Marty's not in the room with him. Right. And, I mean, is he just gonna drink his scotch and then head back to the dance, or is he gonna, you know, stay in his office for a while, or um, what's gonna happen, and he's how gonna, is he gonna cover up that scotch smell? He's gonna put some some uh, uh, marks on people's permanent file, permanent records. You know, <laughs> yeah. like maybe that's what he does at night for fun. I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they go to Biff's uh, a file and just write put the slacker stamp on there. Yeah, oh, I'm sure he's got a slacker. <laughs> stamp. That would be so satisfying. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but but back to your point about like the moving the flag and everything is like what it's real. Strickland's like life here is very. This little glimpse into his life is very interesting. But we're, we're, we 
unless you break it down minute by minute, you're really not thinking about that too much because you're watching entirely Marty continuing on this dogged, stealthy search uh, right. quest, I should say, to, to get that almanac. And I love that it, the obstacles can be so simple, like moving the flag slightly. And but But that's a wonderful cinematic beat because it stretches out that tension just a little bit more. And we've already had it stretched out over all these minutes that we've been <laughs> watching this week. But he, they've got to amp, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, and he's going to reach. And then I love that the door that was open behind Marty closes. Marty created the whole situation that kind of gets him in trouble. And I love that because just screenwriting 101, right? you got to figure out the obstacles that keep you from getting what you want. And it can be another person, but it can also just be a situation. And But it just it, it shouldn't be like aliens suddenly land. It needs to be something natural in the situation, right? So. Right. The idea that the doors, something as simple as a door slammed shut is perfect to kind of, again, force him to shift his plans once again. And that's, that's, <laughs> in, that's generally what, uh, what Bob Gale and, and Robert Zemeckis have said um, in interviews about Back to the Future is that the trick to writing a good Back to the Future movie is that the DeLorean is never the solution to a problem. It is the problem. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, that's sort of the, that's sort of a, a ma- like a maxi look at it, but like at, at, at their, at, at, you know, that sort of philosophy is in every scene of back to the future, which is that, you know, every time a problem comes up, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's a problem that the, the characters created themselves. I mean, that's the whole plot yeah. of this movie it, is it, that it, Marty wanted that almanac to be, to make himself rich and in turn creates this hellscape that he's now <laughs> trapped inside. Um, it fits very much along um, what you said in previous episodes about the Peter Parker-ness of the character. Yes. That, 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 that being Spider-Man doesn't make uh, Peter Parker's life any easier, just as a DeLorean doesn't make Marty's life awesome suddenly. You know, th- this this time machine doesn't fix his life in the same way that Spider-Man, those powers seem like they should be awesome, but they end up being so much more of a responsibility. Uh, so I think that that is very true. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and like, yeah, him grabbing the almanac is kind of like Peter going, yeah, well, what if I use my powers for profit, you know? And 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 then Uncle Ben ends up getting killed. You know, it's it, it's that sort of, uh, a constant reminder that uh, the, these with great power, including time traveling DeLoreans, comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which which I think is interesting because I think ultimately that kind of is the theme of these movies in a lot of ways. Um, it's not the theme that they state out loud at the end of Back to the Future Part Three, but it is very much. Uh, a, a sort of an unspoken theme is that same Spider-Man theme of, of with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, and I, I, I kind of like that. I like that they don't go out of their way to state that that's what these movies are kind of about. Um, or yeah. at least, at least this one, this specific one, uh, this specific one, especially because it's all about um, uh, Marty doing something that changes everything, right? Like, uh, right. like him screwing up and uh, being forced to fix things, you know, uh, where in the first one, it's almost situational, right? It's it's terrorists are coming. He has no choice. It's an accident. Right. And he has to get, uh, you know, it's not something he caused. It's something right. that happened and he has to get out of it. So, yeah, you're right. This one's a little bit different, isn't it? I hadn't even thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they kind of um, they kind of each are 
sort of different. I mean, you know, you have the first one. The first one is really about, I mean, in a lot of ways, it, it is about the power of love. Uh, the first one, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it is all about how his parents didn't really love each other that much. Like his, his mother was infatuated with George, but George didn't love her and she didn't really love him because she didn't know what love was. And mm -hmm. then in the end of the movie, it's about George earning her love and lo loving her back and what the power of love gives them in the present. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, this one is great power comes great responsibility. Right. And then the third one is about, uh, the future being what you make it. Um, ah, nice. about, okay. about, like, it doesn't matter where you are. It's about what you do with where you are. And that's, that's the whole like doc and Clara. Um, right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I hadn't thought about that in terms of the third one, which I've probably seen a lot, lot fewer times than, than these others. But, uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah that's very true. I guess my, my only other question to you in this minute is, and, and it's only because I have not watched further than this for a while, so I don't remember what exactly happens next, but <laughs> how, how the heck does Marty actually hide under that desk? I, I, I don't know. It, there's, that, no, there's no front to the desk. <laughs> okay, okay. Because yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it going like, even if I even if there's no front to it, and I just crouched under it. It seems really hard to not be seen there. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a little bit of movie exaggeration happening there or whatever. But uh, uh, like it wouldn't yeah. really happen like that. Like I always see that when people like hide under a table or something where I'm like, you know what? Yes, they're going to kind of be able to see like your foot hanging out or something. But anyway, I don't know. Well, well, I, watching I, this minute I by minute. I, I can usually sense when people are around. I mean, I mean, blind people can sense when people are in the room with them. Uh, right, right. So, so it's really silly that people cannot be that <laughs> oblivious. Uh, but, you know, you just kind of have to roll with it. Right. And and it adds to that thing we've been talking about uh, all week about the cartooniness. You know, uh, it, 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 when you're in that sort of cartoon, slightly exaggerated world, you know, these are the tropes. These are the things. These are the expectations. And uh, hiding under a big desk is, is just fine. You right. Know? But it so, certainly seems like close quarters when he goes and closes that door and then walks back. You're yeah. kind of like, whoa, where did he go? Did he do some kind of like nightcrawler disappear into the shadows thing or what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I love the beat of, of Strickland hiding the mug. Um, yes. And that's, it's the reversal of the Biff thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's really, it makes you think like maybe Strickland was kind of a Biff when he was in high school. I think, I do think that that's what they're saying there. I, I thought about that as I was watching this minute, I'm like, the reversal there kind of suggests that, you know, uh, he that he was the Biff probably when he was in high school. <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit of himself in Biff, and that's why he makes him so angry. Yeah, I think it could be. But I, but I do. I love the, the idea of him hiding the coffee mug because it's like, wasn't it enough that you're pouring it into a coffee mug? You have to hide <laughs> the mug. Like, <laughs> right, right. That's just even more suspicious, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, why are you hiding your coffee? What, right. What's wrong with it? What is it not coffee? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what do you, he's, he doesn't want anyone to know that he's drinking coffee this late. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, um, you sort of hinted at it in, uh, in, in previous episodes this week. Um, and I'd already asked Paul when he was on the show, uh, last season, but what is your sort of background with these movies? And, and do you remember the first time that you saw them or the oh, first man. one or any of them? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned in previous episodes, so, uh, you know, this is kind of my sweet spot in terms of, 
Uh, I was a, let's see, 1985 is when the first one came out. When did, when did this one come out? Uh, 80, 80, uh, it was uh, Thanksgiving 89. 89. So by the time the second one came out, I was probably uh, either a junior or senior in high school. Um, so I, I'm sure I was a teenager when the first one came out or, or just maybe 13 or something like that. Uh, uh, I can't do the math in my head really quick. Yeah, 13 I would be. Um, uh so this is like kind of right in my sweet spot. It's a movie about teenagers. When I'm a teenager, it's the kind of you. It's uh, you know the kind of family friendly movie that you can all go see. So I probably went to see it either with some other friends or with my family. I don't know, but I would have definitely seen it in the theater first. Um, you know, because at that in that day and age, it was a good six months before anything popped onto VHS, and then you had to hope that. Uh, you know, it would be at the rental place when you made the trip to the next town over to the rental place and, and got it for your VCR, uh, <laughs> your top loading VHS player, just to date myself even further. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just one of those movies. I guess I kind of lump it in with like Ghostbusters and and, and sort of the, the mid 80s um, action comedy. Um, sure. I liked it enough that I'm sure I saw Back to the Future 2 in the theater, too. Uh, I but I, yeah, beyond that, it, it, it's just part of the landscape of my childhood, I guess. Um, you know, I, I okay, I will tell you a, a personal detail is that I like that in 1985, it's a, I like that in the first movie, it's a tr time travel from 1985 to 1955, 30 year difference. My dad is actually just about 30 years older than I am. So in a way, like 1950s high school is what I kind of associate with my dad. And so in a way that works perfectly since the first movie is about sort of, and I never would have realized this at the time in 1985. I'm looking at it now and thinking about it. I can see that I had this view of what his high school life might've been like in 1950s. And this sort of matched to that, you know, this mm -hmm. is sort of like, even to the point when I remember that he had got a bunch of... You know when you used to get like uh, cassette tapes that were like, you know, rock of the 50s and there'd be like four volumes or six volumes or whatever and they'd send sure, you yeah. one every month. He had a set of those at one point. And I remember kind of getting into like that sort of really safe 1950s rock, you know, uh, early rock and roll stuff. Like the stuff that we played at the dance here mm -hmm. um, and, and being really fascinated by that. And I think now it's maybe because that was sort of my view of what my dad's uh, uh, life was like in the fifties or something. And so, you know, to me, I guess, if anything, that's my personal interaction with it is that the 1950s to the 1980s is kind of that perfect uh, uh, connection for father and son, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, and, and that's, that's interesting. Cause it's, uh, that is the origin of the movie in the first place. You know, Bob Gale was, he went home for a holiday or something like that and found his father's yearbook and saw a picture of his dad as a teenager in the fifties and just wondered, would I be friends with him? Mm, um, yeah. You know, he found out he was like class president and stuff. And that was like the polar opposite of Bob Gale. And he's just like, would, would my dad even like me? Would I like my dad? Um, <laughs> and that's how this whole, this whole movie uh, started. That was, that was the seed of the idea. And that, you know, it's something else. And I, my dad, I, I don't think was anything like a George McFly, except that he was kind of like he was into um, ham radios and he was into science fiction. He would oh. become like a big Star Trek fan in college, I guess, is when probably Star Trek came out for him. 
but he, but he, I think when I've seen, like when I went to my grandparents' house, you know, as a kid and I saw maybe some of the books he had as a kid, they were like science fiction books. So the whole scene where, where, uh, uh, Marty McFly puts on the, uh, the radiation outfit and the, the speakers and kind of plays the sort of Darth Vader role or whatever, yeah. uh, uh, and completely freaks out George McFly. I, I think I always laughed at that. I always thought that was awesome because it's kind of how I saw my dad. In fact, my dad loves science fiction novels, still does to this day. And so at the end, when he becomes like this best-selling science fiction author uh, with his new book out and everything like that, it, it did feel like the fulfillment of a promise. It, it did feel like, you know, okay, there's a little bit of like my love for my dad in, in, in this story, like that, you know, because he's a sci-fi guy too, you know. And so, so there's something about that that I think I do connect to. Well, that's so that's pretty funny. I had never thought about that till this moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so, uh, I think that about wraps us up for the week. Dave, you have, uh, why don't, why don't you do some last minute plugs? Um, sure. Um, well, like, <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of things. Um, at the beginning of the week, uh, w w when Paul was with us, um, we talked about the fuzzy typewriter podcast, which is a podcast that he and I have done on and off for years. Um, and it's been off for a little while now. I'm not sure how long, if it's been six months or maybe a, I don't think it's been a year, but maybe it has been. I guess maybe it's if, been if longer. Deep, if deep breath, if deep breath was the last episode that you guys recorded, that would have been over two years ago. Oh, good lord! Okay, <laughs> so we've been off for a while. But <laughs> fuzzy typewriter is essentially Paul and I who love story. We're writers. Uh, we love stories and art and artists and the creative process. And um, uh, you know, it is our excuse to just talk about obsessively about movies and about. Um, the things that we get out of them and what we like, what we, what themes resonate with us moments, uh, you know, stuff like that. So we have watched the entire season of Netflix's, uh, stranger things, which is uh, obviously set in 1983. So it hits that 80s sweet spot that we've talked about this week. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 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 we've talked a lot about that. Like, uh, as Paul said in a previous episode of this show, that it's kind of about the why of stranger things, like the things that resonate with us, why it works, uh, why 1983, what does that do for the show? Uh, the, the sort of influences and what they mean to us and that kind of thing. Uh, so that one should be up in early August, um, and folks can check it out on iTunes when it's there, uh, or go to I, probably fuzzytypewriter.com will be working again, and then and, and up, and, um, you know, but, but you know, search out Fuzzy Typewriter and iTunes and see what's there. Um, and then I have a comic book called Lost Angels, which is a sci-fi mystery about a girl who lives in a version of Los Angeles where a spaceship full of angels uh, have... Uh, crash landed over where Santa Monica used to be creating a new immigrant culture in Los Angeles. So it's a coming of age story, a crime story and a, uh, uh, immigrant tale, which we call Veronica Mars meets alienation. Um, and that one I think is, it was a Kickstarter recently funded. So people can go check out lostangelscomic.com and see what it's all about. And then hopefully there will be links there soon to being able to order your print copy because it now, has been printed and I believe you're getting a copy of that. Oh yeah. Um, Can't wait. <laughs> so there's that. And then, um, I mentioned this, uh, in the previous show, but, uh, from years, from several years back from starting in 2007 through, I think 2010, uh, Wormwood, a serialized mystery is an audio drama that I wrote that, uh, with, with my, uh, co-creator Jeremy Rogers. And then, um, uh, Paul, uh, came on to that show in the second season and began writing with us. And, um, 
I mention it because even though it's it's pretty old, people are still discovering it, and it's still one of the things that I'm very proud of, a very do-it-yourself show where we just kind of, you know, if I could create any sort of television series, what would I do? And it's my love letter to, you know, uh, uh, Hellblazer comics and Twin Peaks TV shows, and in some ways even like 80s X-Men comics and stuff like that, in that sort of soap opera serial nature of it. So, um, yeah, those are kind of some easy ways people can go find stuff I've done. Um and um, or they could follow me on Twitter at Diacampo, D-A-C-C-A-M-P-O. I'd love to hear what you guys think of me uh, joining uh, the Back to the Future Minute and, uh, you know, this week. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, loved having you on this week, Dave, and hopefully we'll bring you back either with Paul or, or maybe even on your own. Um, All right. I'm game. For, for part three. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week for minutes 81 through 85. Uh, but in the meantime, you can go to duelinggenre.com, uh, our website, and you can leave comments to this episode or other episodes if you uh, so desire. You can also check out our other podcast there, The Doctor's Companion, or Doctor Who podcast uh, that Nick and I do with uh, our co-host Cassandra Fredrickson, uh, in which we watch every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. And uh, we're, we're so far, we're halfway through watching the second story of every doctor. Um, and then we'll, we'll start over and start doing the third story of every doctor. And uh, you can also check out our audio drama, Geek by Night. Um, and uh, that, is a, that is a show about uh, late 20s uh, friends who work at a comic book store and get superpowers. And uh, what they do with those superpowers which isn't really involving them becoming superheroes yet. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a long game. It's a long game. All right. And it's a, and it's a fun show and it's, and you know, we make it with, with the kinds of things that uh, we love, you know, things like things like Gilmore girls and uh, Buffy, the vampire slayer and, uh, uh, movies like Back to the Future or Ghostbusters. Um, it definitely has that vibe. Lots of pop culture references, and uh, it's it's a fun show. So go check that out. And while you're checking out things, check out our Patreon page, DuelingGenre.com/support. Where at the five dollar level, you'll ha- gain access to all of our bonus content, which includes exclusive podcasts like Nick and I's Not Writing podcast, as well as Back to the Future Minute No Roads Edition, the weekend edition of this podcast that you're listening to right now, which is exclusive to Patreon. And uh, so if you want to hear Nick and I's uh, dulcet tones on the weekends, that's how you do that. Um, (laughs) And uh, we will be back next week. And I just want to give a special shout out. Thank you to our Patreon associate producers, David Jeffries and Leaper 182. And of course, thank you again to Paul for joining us for uh, Monday through Thursday. And Dave, thank you for joining us for the entire week. Absolutely, man. It's been a blast. Thanks for having us. Yep, absolutely. Okay, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.